Good morning, everyone, and thank you for the privilege of allowing me into your homes this Valentine's morning. Can we pray and commit this talk to the Lord? Lord, we ask that you would take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and move them to love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Firstly, I would like to thank John Mark and the elders here for the invitation this morning um, to talk about Fields of Life. Fields of Life is a local charity very dear to my heart, but before I do that, <clears throat> let me introduce myself. My name's Dalway Johnston. I come from a little village in South Antrim called Ballanderry Upper. My wife Eileen and I had our family home there in the countryside on the shores of Loch Ney for over, 40, over 30 years. We brought up our four daughters there and were very involved in our local Church of Ireland church, running the youth club and youth fellowship for many years. All four of the girls are now married, and two of them are living here on the north coast. Eileen was brought up in Port Stewart. After University of Wales, in Wales and the USA, I came home to join and subsequently run um, our family business, which imported and distributed farm and garden machinery. I actually haven't worked anywhere else. When thinking about retirement, it wasn't hard to settle on Port Stewart, and we moved there in August um, 2019. We've loved being part of Mount, Fan Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship, feel very much at home here, and we lo so look forward to having physical church again and getting to know more of you. But enough about us, I'm here to talk about fields of life today. <clears throat> and rather than just give you the facts and the figures, who we are, what we do and where we do it, I thought I would share my life and faith journey in fields of life and maybe draw some lessons out of that. This is my story, but it could be your story. It's the story of how God uses ordinary people like me, like us, to do his will. But before I get on with that, let me show you a short video which gives an overview of our work. Fields of Life are headquartered in Lisbon, but our work is centered in East Africa. We're focused on changing lives, transforming communities, and building hope through education, through child evangelism and discipleship, through water health and sanitation, and programs to promote the well-being of girls. Most of our work is focused through schools and through the local church, and we've constructed schools in Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, the Congo, and South Sudan. But let me start by reading a few verses from Psalm 37, which have been important to me over the years, starting with verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And then verses 23 and 24. If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a child, a relation from the United States used to visit the family most years. He was a cousin of my father's, but we all knew him as Uncle Ken. Uncle Ken Johnson at that time was chair of a big mission organization called New Tribes Mission. He used to enthrall us with tales and with his cine films of his travels to mission fields around the world, eating rats with the natives in Papua New Guinea, canoeing up tributaries of the Amazon Brazil, meeting recently contacted tribes in the jungles of Peru and Bolivia. I just loved the idea of travel and risk and adventure, something, a desire, was sown deep in my heart. I had a wonderful childhood living on a farm on the shores of Loch Ney, where my cousins and I loved hunting, shooting, fishing and sailing. School days were good and weekends were spent at youth club and youth fellowship. Our little church in the country in Glenavy had a huge Sunday night fellowship of around 120 young people. My parents were Christians and I, at a young age, asked Jesus into my heart and into my life. Then I went off to university, first to Wales and later to do a master's in the US. During that time, I began to wander away from God. I never actually gave up on my faith, but I certainly wasn't walking close. One of my favorite poems describes better than I can how I felt then. Let me read a few lines from The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. I hid from those strong feet that followed Followed after, but with unhurrying chase, with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, came on the following feet. That was me. I fled for him, from him, but was always aware that those strong feet followed, followed after me. The hound of heaven pursued me, and he never gave up on me. And maybe that's you today. Have you been fleeing, resisting God's call on you? Looking back, I'm so thankful that his strong love didn't let go of me. And he won't let go of you. My time at university was when God put a passion for justice in my heart. I looked around me and saw so much unfairness 
so much inequality, so much injustice. My master's was coming to an end and I was faced with one of those big life decisions. Do I continue in academia, pursue a PhD in development economics, do some very exciting fieldwork in Brazil, and head for a career in international development? That seemed like the desire of my heart. Or do I come home and get involved in learning to run a reasonably boring and pedestrian family business selling tractors to farmers and lawnmowers to homeowners? The summer before I was due to finish my master's, I came home for a few weeks. I spent a few days in Donegal and one evening went to the cliffs at Sleeve League. That night, watching the sun sink into the Atlantic, the hound of heaven caught up with me. And I, reluctantly, but I surrendered. I made the choice. I gave up my dreams of a PhD and decided to come home. It didn't feel like my heart's desire, but it did feel like the right thing to do. Guidance from God often comes through hearing that still, small voice and then acting on it. So after some travel in South America, I came home and got stuck into working at the family business. I worked hard, got on with enjoying life again. The following year, I met Eileen, my wife, here on the North Coast. She was working at a guest house just 100 yards from actually where we now live. We got married in 1982. Eileen did her master's in social work. I continued to work incredibly hard. We began leading the youth fellowship and church, and that continued to meet in our home um, for the next 15 years. Life was busy. Life was good. We were blessed with four beautiful daughters and enjoyed wonderful holidays with them. And still, still, something was missing. We enjoyed the fruits of a good income and a very pleasant lifestyle. But what had happened to that desire in my heart for justice, for adventure, and for travel? A whisper came back into my heart some 10 years later. I contacted a Christian development charity and they said I would like to give them some money and perhaps get involved in what they were doing. And nothing. Silence. They didn't respond to me. So I just shrugged my shoulders and went back to my busy life. But those years of waiting would later prove to be invaluable. During that time... I built up relationships which God used in a wonderful way later on in my fields of life journey. I've now been manager director of the business. I was my own boss and had the time and financial independence if I wanted to do other things. God knows what he's doing in our lives. And remember this, God's ways are not our ways. And God's timing is not our timing Jesus had 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. Peter said in his second letter, God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. We get frustrated and impatient, but be patient. God knows what he's doing in your life. We just need to stay close. 
Some two years later, a Church of Ireland minister, the rector of Marilyn, contacted my father and asked him to meet with his curate, who had a crazy idea about buying a farm in Africa to feed orphan children. The curate, Trevor Stevenson, a farmer by background, had been moved by an encounter with the African Children's Choir and had a mad idea to drive a tractor around Ireland as a fundraising venture. I met Trevor. I liked his naive, simplistic idealism, and we loaned him a Massey Ferguson tractor to drive around the country, as you do. Trevor and I hit it off, and we soon became firm friends, and I helped support him as he and a committee in Marilyn raised money for this farmland. Trevor's original target had been £10,000, but his rector encouraged him to trust God for more. First £50,000, and then £100,000. In fact, God hugely blessed the faithfulness and hard work of that early committee of farmers and businessmen, and £126,000 was raised by the end of 1993. Trevor and I headed off to Uganda in June '94 with a cheque for 126000 in our pockets and with the simple objective of buying a farm. I'll never forget the heat and the smell of Africa as we stepped off that plane in Entebbe. Excited, but how innocent we were. Two weeks later and after hundreds of miles driving the red and dusty roads of Uganda under the hot tropical sun, We may have been a little wiser, but we were no closer to buying a farm. And the complexity and the entanglements of Ugandan land law made it look like mission impossible. But Trevor had already handed in his notice, had been accepted to mission training school in September. So he was committed to God's call to go and farm in Africa without any prospects of a farm. To make matters worse... Trevor and his wife, Ruth, were in the middle of an adoption process and knew that they would probably be too old to be considered when they returned home in three years. They were following the desires of their heart by obeying God's call to Africa, but they were giving up on that huge longing to have children. So Trevor and Ruth headed off to Uganda January 95, Trevor spent the next 11 months looking for land. I was a point man for the committee at home, as I was the one with a telex machine to receive messages. Mobiles were non-existent, remember, and phone calls were difficult and very expensive. Trevor stumbled from one possibility to the next during those months, but by autumn time, still had not bought the farm. The farmers on our committee at home were growing more and more frustrated. Whilst Trevor was hot, he was bothered, bewildered, and frustrated. Why had God led him to Africa to run a farm, and he wouldn't even provide the farmland? Breakthrough came before the end of the year, and early in 1996, we were able to take possession of the farm. 110 acres or so of bush and jungle deep, in what had been one of the killing fields of Uganda under Idi Amin. Tens of thousands of people had been brutally murdered in this region. With the help of a bulldozer, the bush was cleared, and Trevor began to do what he understood God had sent him to do, establish a farm. 
teach good agricultural practice, and provide food for hungry orphans. All was going well. The farmers on the committee at home were happy, and the killing fields had been transformed to fields of life. Trevor was relaxed that things were at last going to plan. And then the locals approached him about building a school for the community. I remember Trevor contacting me and telling me that he'd been asked to build a school. He thought it was hilarious, as he never really liked school, and he spent most of his career at school propping up the bottom of the class. But we put the proposal to the newly established board in Marilyn, and they agreed to find the money. So school number one, Fields of Life Academy, opened for pupils in February 96. School number two happened a year later, the same way. Then number three, then number four. And we were all wide-eyed with incredulity. What was happening? 25 years later, Fields of Life has built 127 schools in Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, Burundi, DR Congo, and most recently in South Sudan. There were around 45 or 50,000 pupils at these schools pre-COVID, and we now have many pupils who have gone through primary, secondary, and tertiary education, pupils who become real influencers and change makers in East Africa, lawyers, teachers, business people, and even the foremost Christian singer in Uganda came through one of our schools in a, in, a, in a terrible slum in the middle of Kampala. We promote quality education. We ask that schools provide food. We introduce and give pupils an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And we teach good hygiene and good nutritional practices. A school not only gives pupils the opportunity to thrive, but it also brings huge transformation to the community that it is set in. Many, many of these schools are deep in the bush where there's little economic activity, and suddenly teaching and ancillary staff have been paid, staff houses are being rented, new teachers' accommodation has been built, food has been bought, all this builds the economy. Lives are changed. Community and economic transformation happens. And suddenly there's hope where there was no hope. A school changes a community forever. Other programs then developed around the schools. We noticed many children not attending school either because they were sick with waterborne disease or they had to carry water for their families, maybe three or four miles every day. So we raised money for two drilling rigs. And incredibly, I still don't really understand it, but we've now drilled over 750 clean water wells, which bring health, safety, and all the benefits of clean water to hundreds of communities. And at this point, I want to thank... MCF and all of you for your generous donation at Christmas time toward a new well which will be drilled 
in your name in northern Uganda. We noticed many girls missing a week off school each month because of their period. They simply had no sanitary protection and were afraid and were ashamed to come to school. Many sat at home during their period using dried leaves, pieces of rag, or the soil on the ground. We introduced our I Am Girl program to empower the girl child and to provide them with sanitary products. We educated the whole school in simple biology and then taught both girls and boys to make reusable sanitary towels. Many of the boys took the learning home to their mothers and to their sisters. The I Am Girl program teaches on issues such as gender equality, gender-based violence, and child protection, and advocates on behalf of girls to see changes in policies and practices. Our latest project, a new vocational training college at Gulu in war-torn northern Uganda, opens its doors next month in March to provide training in building skills, electrical and solar engineering, motor vehicle mechanics, hair and beauty management, and hospitality. Each student there will have the opportunity to undertake a Christianity Explored course. The really important thing about all of this is that it was no man's vision Our vision 25 years ago was for a simple farm project to practice and teach excellence in agriculture and provide food for orphan children. Trevor's intent was to set the farm up, train a successor, hand it over, and come home. But God had a different plan. And here's the point. All he was looking for was a humble, listening, and obedient heart. And he found that in Trevor Stevenson. Trevor was humble enough to say, not my will, but yours be done. He was listening to how God was leading, and he was obedient to that call. Then God took us on the most amazing journey of our lives. Trevor would ask the board to find money to build yet another school or drill some more wells. And incredibly, miraculously, God would have touched the heart of a businessman or a church or a lady at home, and he provided the funds needed just when we needed them. We still stand amazed at God's goodness and provision, and how he obviously had this all in mind long before any of us were even born. What a privilege it's been to be involved in something so special. Let me share one very special moment of God's provision. We'd been asked by a church in Kampala to consider funding a medical clinic deep in the bush. We agreed, and the church held a service of dedication prior to construction commencing. The land at the site had been donated by an elderly lady, then in her 70s. The lady, Florence, had not been told what was going to be built on the land. On the day of the dedication, When she heard about plans for a medical clinic, she started to weep and to say over and over again, 
I understand now. I understand now. Through her tears, these were Florence's words. Florence said, When I was six years old, I had a dream one night. In my dream, I was playing on this land and I saw many men and women in white coats. I had no idea what they were doing. As a child, I asked God what they were doing or what the dream meant. He did not give me an answer, but he told me that one day I would understand. For almost 80 years, this dream has never left my mind. But today, God has given me an answer, the one I have cherished so long. The men and women in white coats will be the doctors and nurses helping those who are sick. I thank God for keeping me strong to this day to see my dream fulfilled. Now I'm ready to go home to be with Jesus. Rafa Medical Center, Gombe, west of Kampala, stands today testament to this story. Florence's story has been the story of fields of life. God had something planned from eternity. He had good plans for his children in East Africa. All he needed was a humble, listening, and obedient heart. He found that in Trevor Stevenson. He can do something amazing in any of our lives. He can take us to places we never dreamed of. All he needs is our humble listening, and obedient hearts. Which brings me back to the verse I started with. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I can testify to the truth of this verse. My journey with fields of life has given me the desires of my heart and fulfilled desires I never knew I had. I've had the most exciting adventures traveling through East Africa. I have met wonderful people. And I've witnessed those God moments and God appointments which sent shivers down my spine and brought tears down my face. But most of all, I've seen many, many lives changed through education, through the provision of clean water, and most importantly, through coming to know Jesus. I've seen communities transformed and people lifted out of abject poverty. And I've seen people who had little hope been given hope for a better future. What a privilege it has been to have been caught up in something bigger than ourselves, something where God was leading. God was delighting, surprising, and we were following, running like mad just to try to keep up with him. However, I continue to see and feel the impact of poverty, of war, injustice, and inequality in East Africa. Some things are simply not fair. The girl child in South Sudan taken out of school after primary four because she's considered economically worthless. The 22-year-old man in primary two, yes, primary two, learning to read and write, 
because civil war had kept him from school. I've met that person. The girls in northern Uganda struggling to understand why they had been raped and then had their arms cut off at their elbows. The teachers trying to control a class of 300 so that the government could tick a box and say they were educated. The young girl taken and eaten by a crocodile as she went on her daily task to fetch water for the family. The bright and articulate head girl of one of our secondary schools who worked during the school holidays as a prostitute because she needed money for school fees. The headmaster who had to decide whether to pay his teachers this month or feed his pupils, the children. This is everyday real life in East Africa. These are the stories of fields of life. The need remains great. So, so much remains to be done. When I first went to Uganda in 1994, the population was 14 million. There were about 7 million children. The population today, we think, is 46 million. There's probably 25 million children under 16. The need is overwhelming before we even talk about South Sudan or Burundi. But as I end, a wonderful little footnote. Remember when I said that Trevor and Ruth, when they'd given up the possibility of being able to adopt when they went to Uganda? God hadn't forgotten. When they came back to Dublin, they got a very unexpected call from a social worker. And within a few months, were the very proud parents of a lovely Kenyan boy born in Ireland to African parents. David was later joined by Mikey from Zimbabwe. No better parents in Ireland for two African boys. God leads us when we delight ourselves in him. But what does it actually mean to delight ourselves in the Lord? I asked a few friends, and here are some of their replies. To intentionally prioritize God in your life, so that his presence becomes your greatest treasure and your treasure. Or someone else said, a complete and utter dependence on the Lord, and someone else be captivated by him, focus on him, and enjoy him forever. I'm sure all of these are true. They are true, but maybe they all sound a little bit weighty or theological. When you delight yourself in someone, you respect them and admire them. You want to spend time with them. You want to learn from them. You want to become like them. You want to do things which please them. You want to laugh with them. You're able to cry with them. You want to share life with them. So it's about relationship. It's not a heavy or burdensome thing. God knows our hearts. He knows our strengths. He knows our failings and our weaknesses. He certainly knows mine. 
He knows our attitude of mind. He sees our posture toward him. He's merciful. As the psalmist says, he is compassionate and he's gracious. He knows how we're formed. He loves us with an everlasting love. God desires relationship with us, with you, with me. Psalm 37 also says that he wants to to delight in our ways. He wants to make our steps firm. And he really does want to give us the desires of our hearts. So let us delight ourselves in him. Thank you. Hi everyone at Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship. My name is Naomi and I have the privilege of working with Fields of Life. And I just want to thank each of you for choosing to support the work of Fields of Life and specifically for providing funds um, so that we can give clean water to vulnerable communities who are living without this precious gift. I hope you enjoy um, the following video which will just show you a little bit of the need um, that these communities live with on a day-to-day basis and the impact that your donations will make to provide clean water to vulnerable communities in East Africa. Imagine if you had to carry a jerry can miles from home every day to get water. That's the reality for more than 2 billion people in the world, having to walk miles every single day just to get clean water. Now throw COVID-19 into the mix and the situation is much more life-threatening. And maybe it's the same water source that animals are using. And when your water source is unprotected, that means you're at risk of typhoid, diarrhea and other waterborne diseases. Now, if you're a man, you are drinking this water, but you're probably not the one going to get it. You're typically out on the farm. In most of the developing world, water is women's work. Now, ladies, imagine walking through the bush for miles every day. Sadly, walking for water is where women are most at risk of sexual violence. And if they take too long getting that water, their husbands are suspicious. And when they get home, they're at a high risk of domestic violence as well. And how about the children? Think they're exempt from all this? Of course not. Imagine how many school days you would miss being sick from drinking dirty and contaminated water. Then we've had the year 2020, when we were all told continually to wash our hands and the importance of doing so to stop and reduce the spread of coronavirus. But without access to clean and safe water, effective hand washing is impossible. This impacts people's health and that of their family and community. Access to clean and safe water is more important now than ever before. It's easy to see how, when fields of life bring clean water to a community, everything changes. Women don't have to walk the path anymore. Children can stay in school. Our I Am Girl program teaches both girls and boys how to make reusable sanitary wear and how to destigmatize menstruation. By placing wells in close proximity to schools, we're already partnering with We make the well and the school more centralised community gathering places. The school flourishes and more importantly so does everyone in the community. At Fields of Life we're not just focused on water or education because they're actually inseparable. 
Without water, schools can't keep children in class, especially the girls. Without an education about sanitation and hygiene, water sources will continue to be compromised. We believe that everyone is at their best when they're able to be educated, free from gender-based violence and most of all, healthy. To find out more about our water, sanitation and hygiene projects, visit fieldsoflife.org forward slash water. Yes, you can find out more about Fields of Life on our website. Um, if you want to um, talk to me, I'm, I'm available. We're living in Port Stewart. Um, and you can contact me through the church. The early story of Fields of Life is told in this book, written by Trevor Stevenson and Steve Stockman. It's called From Killing Fields to Fields of Life. It's a good read. It's a light read. Um, and full of wonderful stories of the early days of Fields of Life. And lastly, perhaps some stage you'd like to visit East Africa and see the work for yourself and take part in a short-term mission team. We look forward to be able to take teams out again when this pandemic passes. So let's talk about that later. So thank you again. And uh, Lord, we just thank you um, for this wonderful story which has been Fields of life, we just thank you for your leading, for your directing. We give you all the glory, Lord, because it started with you and it continues with you. And uh, we want to say thank you for what you have done. We pray for all those children in East Africa um, whom, whom we have some sort of responsibility towards. Lord, would you be with them? Would you give us wisdom um, to look after them well? Thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this time of worship. And we just ask that you'd be with us and our families during the rest of today and in this, into this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.